church that there is an open invitation today and the voice of God is uh, inviting us to come near he says draw near to me and I will draw near to you and if you're in here today you're feeling distant from God you're feeling far away from him maybe guilt makes him feel far away maybe you're beating yourself up right now. Maybe the, the, the weight and the cares of life are beating you up today. Whatever it is, it hasn't disqualified you. You are a son, you are, you are a daughter, and the Father is calling you to come and to sit at his feet today. He invites you, and not only does he invite you, but he strongly desires that you would come near. This morning in prayer, um, Autumn was sharing with us that she just believes that there's a time coming where we must lay things down at his feet to create margin. And I believe there's many of us in here today that we're exhausted. And when we come to gather together in worship, we're offering him our fumes, whatever we have left over. And God is saying, I'm going to bring you into a season where everything else can wait. Where everything else is secondary and that is where you will find rest, true rest. That is where you will renew your strength. That is where you will mount up with wings as eagles. That is where you will run and not grow weary. Where you will walk and you will not faint. When everything else can wait in your heart, when everything else can wait in your mind and you fix your thoughts on me and you prioritize me in my life for you, God says, you will find rest at my feet. And so I challenge you, church, right now, whatever that is that you're carrying, whatever it is that has you worn down, whatever guilt that you're carrying that he paid the price for on the cross, that you release it to him right now in the name of Jesus. Would you lift your hands to the heavens right now and just, and just pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, God, we give you everything. We lay things aside, God, to make room for you, God, to give you margin, Lord Jesus. Um, God, so that uh, everything is prioritized in the way it should be, that you are our priority. And God, the things that we're carrying, we were not designed to carry. God, that's why you had to come, God, to bear our burdens, Lord, and you took them upon you when you hung upon that cross, and we release our worries and our cares. We release our guilt unto you, Father God. We believe that you did the work, that you paid it in full, and we need not carry that guilt anymore. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Anything unconfessed, we confess to you right now in Jesus' name. Father, forgive us of those things that we have not confessed. We confess them to you right now. And we thank you, God, for the freedom and the rest that you give to us. So, Father, take it all. Take it all so that our ears are unhindered 
God, from hearing your voice today so that our hearts are not hardened, but God softened, Lord, give us a heart of flesh where there was a heart of stone and let us receive everything that you have for us today because your word has the power to break strongholds off of our lives. Your word has the power to bring healing to a broken heart. God, your word has the power to take what was dead and make it alive again. Your word has a power to restore broken relationships. Father God, the power is in your word and in your truth and we receive it today. We bind the lies of the enemy and the working of the enemy in this place today. Father, we praise you. Your will be done in our hearts as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. If you're in agreement with that, shout amen. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated this morning. Thank you so much. God is so good. Hallelujah. Thank you, fellas. Can we just give a hand clap of appreciation to our team up here? Was that not an awesome time in God's presence? So much, uh, it's about so much more than the music when we worship him, isn't it? Music is a, a lovely tool that helps bring us to a place where we can focus all of our thoughts upon him. But what we experienced today was communion with God, amen? It wasn't just singing songs that kind of stir up our hearts or, or um, you know, singing lyrics that, that build up faith. It does that too, but we were singing directly to God. And we have the opportunity because of what he did on the cross to step into the holy of holies. The Bible says that the veil was torn so that we could experience intimacy with him. Not just, it's not, it's not reserved for pastors and missionaries or traveling evangelists, but for the average person sitting around a table today, God wants you to encounter his presence in a mighty and powerful way. If you believe that, say amen. amen. All right. Well, welcome back to church. I am so excited today to preach part four of the series we're in, uh, currently titled Rhythm, because every living, every living thing is growing, amen? And if you're not growing, you're dying. And every, every living thing um, is repeating a process. There's a rhythm of growth that takes place. And when I introduced this um, series uh, a few weeks back, we talked about how in living things, how many of you know every living thing is made up of cells, right? And so the cells, uh, the way growth works is as the, gr- the cells uh, take nutrients and convert, them, convert it into energy and then, and then the cell actually begins to grow. And as the cell is growing, it says, science teaches us that it copies its DNA, That means it begins to uh, take the qualities of itself and reproduce it until finally when it reaches a certain size, the two cells break apart and form two identical cells. And the process is repeated as long as it is alive. And the same works for the church, that there's a rhythm of growth that takes place in our life. And if we're missing any of those uh, rhythms, then our growth will be hindered. And if it's missing long enough, it can actually lead to spiritual death. Another way we looked at rhythm was on week two, uh, when it comes to like an EKG or a heart monitor or just a stethoscope, when the doctor's listening to your heart, he's not listening just to hear if it's beating, but he's listening to hear if it's beating in rhythm, that it's beating the way it's supposed to. And if he hears um, a, a wrong rhythm or a flutter or something like that, then it means that something is 
wrong. And so we have these seven rhythms, spiritual rhythms, which are daily disciplines that must be evident in our life. Think of a wheel that must continue to be spinning, right? You know, if you stop breathing, what's going to happen? It's not a trick question. You're going to die. That's right, Doris. Thank you so much. I can always count on Doris to give me the feedback I need. You, you die. And so I want you to think of these things as breathing even, spinning, breathing, whatever analogy works for you. But it has to be a, a, an ongoing thing because if it, if it stops, then it's going to hinder our growth and could possibly lead to spiritual death. And so week one, we talked about how the first spiritual rhythm is daily devotion. Specifically, this is a commitment to God's word to reading it, knowing it, trusting in it, sharing it with others, being obedient to it in your life. Uh, This has to be an ongoing process. And then week two, we talked about prayer and how that needs to be an ongoing rhythm in your life. But we specified that prayer is not just talking, amen? Prayer is not just giving God your wish list, but it's an opportunity to step into his presence and to hear his voice. And sometimes we have to shut up and listen. And God speaks to us in a whisper because he wants us to lean in close in order to hear because what he desires above all else is to have relationship with us. And so intimacy can come out of our prayer where we hear God's still small voice. And last week, we talked about how we experience freedom through something called repentance. We really broke that down as repentance being so much more than saying, God, I'm sorry. But the biblical definition for repentance is changing the way you think, changing your mind uh, and your mindset, which can often be a stronghold in your life, right? A mindset, a system of beliefs that keeps you functioning in captivity. We use the word function because oftentimes we can still function, but we're not functioning in the freedom that Christ paid for on the cross. And so there has to be a change in our thinking, a change in our mind that sets us free. And so repentance is so much more than saying, God, I acknowledge the sin in my life. Forgive me for this action that I have done. But it's also, God, I acknowledge where my thinking is wrong. Maybe something happened to me that's not my fault. And what did to me is not my own sin. I was abused. I was molested. I was mistreated. Whatever it is, that's not my sin. But my sin comes into light when it comes to what I believe about what happened to me. When I attach characteristics and qualities to God that are not his because of how I've interpreted what has happened to me. And so even sometimes when we were the innocent victim, there's a thinking that we have to repent of so that we can be free, so that we're no longer tormented by what happened to us. And I believe God set some people free last week. If that was you and you experienced any level of freedom last week, can you just lift up your hand? Praise God. Thank you, God, so much for what you're doing in people's lives. Today, we're on rhythm number four, which is called serving the community. Sir, or we'll put it this way as a command, serve the community. It's something that we must be doing on a regular basis. I mentioned breathing earlier. The church is a living, breathing organism. The Bible refers to us as the body of Christ. And in the description of the body of Christ, you know what is talked about the most? 
the roles that we play, the actions that we participate in, the gifts that we have, that, that, that we offer to the rest of the body, the way that we function, there is a doing, that are, there's a serving that must take place. Because here's the deal, as a living, breathing organism, if we're not breathing out what we're taking in, we're not living at all. How many of you think you could inhale only for the rest of your life? Just inhale. Some of you tried it, right? But you know it's impossible. Eventually you have to exhale or you're dead. And see, there's this tension. When it, specifically when it comes to uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you know the Great Commission is for you and me, right? And so what happens in a lot of Christians' lives is there's this tension between feeling the responsibility and the obligation of sharing Jesus, but not knowing how to start. And so oftentimes, because of that, we remain paralyzed as Christians, and we never do share because we don't know how to bring up the conversation. Maybe we're not really good at transitioning things into a conversation about Jesus, or, or maybe we just feel like we're not eloquent, we're not the right person, we're not qualified to share Jesus. And so what happens is we never get the conversation started. Today at our tables, we practice something called breaking the ice. And we gave you icebreaker questions. And that term means basically that sometimes when we are um, face-to-face with someone, it can be awkward, amen? Some of you sat next to someone you've never sat next to before in your life, or you're sitting directly across from someone, and you can't avoid eye contact, and you're like, what's going on? This church is making me feel uncomfortable, because i got to sit next to somebody I've never met before. I'm expected to talk to them, and so we give you a silly, fun question, and the hope is that in that, you're able to break down some barriers and push through the awkwardness so that later you'll be able to have a more meaningful conversation. So where does this term ice? breaker come from? It actually comes from ships from the 17th century that were designed in such a way to literally break the ice of the frozen ocean waters so that boats could follow behind them and have a clear path to go where they need to go. Church, I believe that God is raising up believers within a church to be icebreakers because how many of you know that there's a world today that has grown cold towards the church and towards God in so many ways and and the world is depending on God's people to serve as icebreakers to pave a way for the gospel to penetrate even the coldest of hearts we've got to be icebreakers see we sometimes believe that Uh, We will initiate the conversation and share Jesus or share about our faith when we can figure out how to not make it awkward. But how many of you know sometimes the awkward moment is unavoidable, right? Sometimes it's awkward. First time I asked my wife out on a date, very awkward. I almost backed out of it, even though I was the one that asked because I felt like she was going out with me because she felt sorry for me. It was very humbling. But luckily I didn't give up, amen? She could not resist the Joe Skeen's charm. What can I say? Yeah. I, t- I know, I tell her all the time she married me for my body, but I-, I-, I like to think that, but in reality, she's like, the only reason why I married you is because you love Jesus so much. So let that be a lesson to you men in here. If you want to be able to marry up and date somebody out of your league, love Jesus, and he's going to send the right woman into your life. 
But see, if I was unwilling to approach that awkward moment, then I would not enjoy the, the beautiful, intimate, close relationship that I have in marriage with my wife. And so th- there's going to be a moment that we face awkwardness when it comes to engaging people with the love of Jesus. And we have to be okay with that. I want you to think of it as a, a threshold of a door. Because oftentimes, how many of you have ever knocked on your neighbor's door just to say hello? Like three people. Why? Because it can be awkward. How many of you will be honest and say, I don't know my next door neighbor's names? Go on, be real. Yep, 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 yep. More people admitted that than admitted knocking on their doors just to say hello. But how many of you know that's the hardest part? Knock, knock, knock. But if that person, if that neighbor opens the door unto you and you cross the threshold, suddenly the relationship has gone to the next level. When you've stepped into somebody's living room and maybe they offer you a glass of iced tea or maybe they invite you over for a barbecue or to come and have dinner with the family, there's an awkward moment at the beginning, but then it can lead to lasting and meaningful relationship. And as a church, we have to be willing to brave the awkward and break the ice. But sometimes we're just not sure how to do that, amen? So that's what I wanna talk about at our tables before we get into God's word today. What are some things that God has used in your life to serve as an icebreaker to engage a broken world with the love of Jesus, okay? What are some things that God has used in your life to serve as an icebreaker to help you engage a broken world with the love of Jesus? Let's go ahead and begin to discuss at our tables. All right. Did you guys have good discussion at your table? Okay. Some of you did. Some of you did. I heard some great answers at my table with, with my, my three friends over here. What, what's the deal with you guys anyway? Why are you guys all scared of the front tables? Come on, you sissies. Everybody's got to sit in the back. Just kidding. But we had some good conversation about how food can be an act of service to someone and an icebreaker and how food can be something that really breaks down walls. I think that's really fantastic. Helping people that are in need. Um, those are all great icebreakers. I believe that serving is the ultimate icebreaker. Serving both inside and outside of the church. I believe you have to have both. You need to be serving your brothers and sisters in Christ on a consistent, rhythmic basis. And you need to be serving outside of the four walls of the church for the gospel to reach its full potential impact. And so... Uh, Serving, it just it gives the power to break the ice so that people can receive the good news of the gospel. And so this morning, I'm going to give you four ways you can break the ice, specifically through serving. Okay? Break the ice through serving. And so before we get into this, I'd like to invite you guys to stand one more time. You know, this keeps us awake too, right? But we're going to make a statement of faith about what we hold in our hands. And so if you've got a Bible, I'd like to ask you to pick it up to hold it in your hand. If you're following along on your phone today, you got the Bible app, go ahead and pick that up. We're just gonna declare this over ourselves. And so if you look on the screen and read along with me, we're gonna read this out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. This is my Bible. It is God's word. When I read it and live it, I will become everything it says that I am. Amen. Now stay standing and we're gonna look at John chapter four, verses one, through nine. That's John chapter four, 
verses 1 through 9, and it's good practice to follow along with your Bible if you've got it, because I could be lying to you, or you're welcome to follow uh, on the screens as well. So John chapter 4, verses 1 through 9 says this, Jesus knew, you know, I feel like all good chapters of the Bible start with Jesus knew, because when you discover what Jesus knows, it makes his actions that much more meaningful. So Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, that's John the Baptist, Uh, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go, somebody say, had to go, through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar. Near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, Jacob, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, somebody say, Jesus gets tired. Well, he got tired. I don't think he gets tired anymore. Um, he sat, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. Somebody say surprised. Surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that it would penetrate every heart and that you would illuminate it to our hearts. Help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. Anoint my words. May my words be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So first, I want to look at verse 4 that we just read and point out that it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. There's a couple really significant things that I want to point out about that. First of all, I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus went. Jesus went somewhere with intentionality to come into contact with someone that he otherwise would not have. Let me say that again. Jesus intentionally left where he was to go through an area to come into contact with someone that he would have otherwise not have come into contact with. So number one, how you can use serving as an icebreaker in your life is to go. That's it. Don't you love these one word points? Go. Turn to your neighbor and say, go. Sometimes that is the hardest part when it comes to following Christ is we just have to take that first step. Yes, Lord, in obedience, I will go. I'm not sure what I'm going to say when I get there, but I know you said go, so I'm going to take that first step. I don't have it all planned out. I, I haven't thought through what if they say this? What if they resist me? What if they um, make me feel embarrassed? What if they mock me? What if it feels uncomfortable? What if it feels awkward? I just simply know that God said go, so here I go. And oftentimes we paralyze ourselves because we don't move until we know the beginning, middle, and end of what's going to happen. But faith is step by step. 
We walk in the Spirit step by step. We place our feet where his footprints have gone before us. And that's all we need to know. And once we engage him in faith that way, God will move through us in a mighty and powerful way. And so as a sub-point to go, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Serving breaks the ice by intentionally crossing paths with those we don't normally encounter. That means we can't expect God to always bring them to us. We got to go where they are. I love how Jesus did not send his disciples ahead of him. He could have delegated this, right? He could have sent them out, which he had done, and he, will, he does do, um, but he went himself. He didn't send money ahead because he knew that there were people in Samaria that had needs. Um, those things are good, Right? Amen? Those things are good. We should do that, right? We should, we should give to missions. We should send our money to places we can't go. But how many of you know God has a place he wants you to physically go? Wherever that is, it might be to your neighbor's house next door. It might be across the street. It might be around the world, overseas. But there's a certain place where God has called you to go. And that's what Jesus did. See, Jesus left familiar territory and he crossed a border into a, a village and a town that most good Jews would avoid at all cost. But he went there him. So why would he himself go? Because he came to do so much more than just provide a physical need. He came to restore a relationship that had been broken for generations. And how many of you know that if, if, if you've been broken in a relationship, it takes a relationship to, re, to restore that healing. Amen. See, some of you, some of you, you need to hear this. You've been hurt in relationship. God wants to use relationship to bring you healing. You've been hurt in a church. God wants to use a church to be a part of your healing. He's not saying, hey, I'll take care of you. You don't need the church. You just, you just stay outside of the church and you can have private devotions with me and, and I'll encourage you through the Holy Spirit. No, if you've been hurt in the church, God says, I'm gonna lead you to a church where you're gonna be healed and I'm gonna surround you with men and women of God that are gonna love you and heal you in Jesus' name. And so a relationship is often restored through relationship. And so Pharisees, like I said before, they avoid Samaria altogether. And so when it says Jesus had to go, really what the Bible's telling us is, is he had to go so that he could preach to the Samaritans because he didn't have to go through. Now, it was a more direct route, and so it was the shortest way to go. But do not miss the fact that Jesus stopped in Samaria and he went there with intentionality to pursue someone that he would otherwise not come across. See, one of the, a big part of this conversation, as you read on in this chapter, is she brings up the question to Jesus. I can see you're a prophet, right, because he reads her mail and all that stuff. We won't get into all that today. But she says, why is it that you Jews say that we have to worship in Jerusalem, but here... Uh, on Mount Gerizim, we have this temple that we built that we claim that, that Moses uh, put here for us to worship. And, and, and you Jews telling us that we can't, we can't worship here. And he says to her, there's coming a day, and it's here right now when true worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. And so what we learn from that conversation is this woman would not have been caught dead at the temple in Jerusalem. And you got to understand, church, that we have been called not only to the people that come here on Sunday morning, but people that would otherwise never set foot in this building, and they're not going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not going to experience the love of Jesus unless we take it outside of these four walls. 
And so there was a lot of, of hatred and tension between Jews and Samaritans during this time. Why was that? Well, here's just a few bullet points for you. See, the Samaritans embraced a religion that was a mixture of Judaism and idolatry. And so they took some of the basics of, of, of the, the faith of Judaism, but then they added these other things as well. They created a, a religion and an image of God in their own minds to fit their lifestyle. How many of you say, that sounds like America? Right, And we have that going on on a regular basis, even in buildings like this that we call churches. We have this image of God that is not based upon what the word of God says, but based upon what we need to meet our needs. We have formed God into our image instead of allowing God and his word to form us in his image. And this is what was happening. And so the Jews were very offended by the Samaritans. They were generally considered half-breeds. And so there was like a racism component involved in this as well. And the hatred for Samaritans, and let me tell you, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. That they hated the Jews as well. And this goes all the way back to when Nehemiah was trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It was Samaritans that came to vigorously attempt to halt the undertaking. And so this goes back for generations. And so you got to understand that when Jesus went, when it says Jesus had to go, he was going where no one else would go. He was engaging people that no one else would engage. He was crossing not only uh, uh, physical borders, but he was crossing borders of racial and and, and prejudice and generations of hatred. He was uh, crossing social boundaries so that he could go and um, give something that could only be done face to face. On top of this, Samaria became a refuge for outlaws uh, of Judea. This was like Australia, right? (laughs) Like, send all your criminals over there, right? And they came. And so, man, talk about a bad reputation. And of course, as I mentioned before, they built a temple for themselves. And they claimed and insisted that it was Moses that designated that place for worship. And so there was a lot of tension. And you know, what made Jesus's message so much more powerful was not just what he said, but where he said it, where he went to preach. How many of you know that that as, as important as it is to serve inside the church, and it is, we must be doing both. We must be willing to leave the comfort and familiarity of this building in our normal area of influence and be willing to take the hope that Christ has put inside of us. You know, there's a reason why the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us and not near us, so that we take him wherever we go. And we, there's places that, that are dark, and they will not experience the light until you step into the darkness. See, people uh, will be more interested in what you have to say when they've seen where you're willing to go. Let me say that again. People will be more interested in what you have to say when they have seen where you are willing to go. There's something about saying, oh, he's come to my neck of the woods. He's placed himself in my situation. He's put upon my shoes. He's come into a partnership with me for this specific purpose. And so now I'm going to listen what they, to what they have to say. Uh, how many of you know that Jesus had street cred, Right? That's what it is. We need a church that has street cred, uh, not, not credit because of where you've been and what you've been saved from, which is a thing too, right? Like I've got this testimony. Uh, you guys are going to hear Joseph's testimony, by the way, um, on July 2nd. You better not skip church that day. 
because it's going to be powerful. We're going to sit up here together. We're going to tag team, all right? Joseph's got this beautiful story, right, of being uh, set free from, from drugs and all these other different addictions and lifestyles, right? And so he's got street cred. But how does somebody like me get street cred who was raised in the church and has been going to the same camp up in Prescott, Arizona since age 12, right? And never got into drugs, never tasted alcohol, never been drunk, never sipped beer. Of course, all you have to do is smell it and know you shouldn't drink it, right? Never experienced any of that. So where's my street cred? Well, I'll tell you what, my street cred comes from going out onto the streets, And telling people that God loves them no matter what they've done in spite of their past, in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their past failures and mistakes. There's a God that loves them because I'm willing to go where other church members may not be willing to go. Where other Christians would shy away from. By doing that I get street cred and I earn their ear so that I can give them the greatest news ever told. We get street cred when we're willing to go where God tells us to go. We've been called to engage people that they're not going to come in here on a Sunday morning unless we engage them first on their territory. And so this is why when we do rooted and in our life groups, when we do serve experiences, as we call them, we encourage each group to do a service project that's going to bring you face to face with people in need. And it's an understanding that, sure, you can go to feed my starving children and you can stuff boxes and that's awesome, okay? There's nothing wrong with that because you're meeting a need. Someone's got to do it. And that food's going to get to people that really need it. But here at the fountain, we're also interested in the impact it has on you. And we understand that part of discipleship is getting you face-to-face with people that may even make you feel uncomfortable so that you can show them the love of Jesus in a real, authentic, relational way. Because when we do that, we break the ice so that people can receive the message of Jesus Christ. And here's the deal, guys. As long as our faith remains in here and they remain out there, the gospel has little influence. We have got to be willing to go. Some of you may remember me, oh man, a few months ago, we, we did the door-to-door um, an invitation, right, to where we're inviting people to come and be a part of, uh, I don't know if this was the fall festival or if this was something else we were doing, but we were having a community event, and we came across, and we learned that there's government housing down here. Who would have thought, Right? Uh, one of the things we're always talking about is how do you reach all these rich people, right, that are so, so affluent and they feel like they don't need God because they have everything they need. It comes in their, in their bank account, in their pocketbook, right? And so how do you reach these people? And just right down here is government housing. And it's these little uh, apartment complexes that are full of people that have uh, suffered abuses and addictions and they're trying to get their life right. And the government has stepped in and many of them are war veterans, And we had a guy come to the door, and as we begin to share uh, that there's a church up here, um, and begin to share uh, what we were doing, he opened up like a book and just began to share all of the junk that he was carrying. He began to share with us his war stories and the horrors that he both witnessed and he partook in, that he can't forgive himself of, and he can't forget that they haunt him day and night. And this man became completely vulnerable with a complete stranger because we were willing to come to his front door, to step onto his turf, and to, and to step into his life. And because of that, he opened up and began to pour out all the pain that he was dealing with. And we were able to pray with him as he saw 
sobbed and tears streamed down his face. And I don't know where this man is with God right now, but I believe that he received something from God that day because we were willing to cross the threshold of awkward and knock on his door. See, we have no idea the pain that is out there until we're willing to go. Oftentimes, it's the person right next door or in the cubicle next to you. When someone comes to church, you know, they have the expectation that they'll be treated a certain way. So if you're nice to them, they're not surprised. They're like, yeah, this is church, which is why it can be so hurtful when someone does come to a church and they say, no one, no one noticed me. No one greeted me. No one shook my hand. I felt like they didn't even know I was there. I, slipped, I came in late. I slipped out early. But man, they, there's an expectation that you'll be treated a certain way. But, but when you're out into the streets and someone shows you the type of hospitality that you might receive on a Sunday morning at this church, which, by the way, uh, give yourself a hand because you guys rock at that on Sunday mornings. Let me tell you, uh, we have people that have just recently started attending that are in this rooted group with me, and multiple, multiple people shared a story about how when they first came, they were overwhelmed with how much love they were shown by you, and that is awesome, and you deserve the credit for that, and I want to celebrate that so that it gets repeated, but you got to understand that that same hospitality comes from the same spirit that dwells in you, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead goes with you everywhere you go, so so should your hospitality. So should your love, so should your kindness, so should your willingness to serve, even when you're not on the schedule and planning center, but when you're at work in the cubicle next to a coworker, or you're on your lunch break and you wanted to spend it alone, but the Lord tugs on your heart because there's a fellow employee that needs Jesus. And so you sit down and you have lunch next to them in the break room. Gosh, wherever we go, guys, we take the spirit of God with us. Okay. Back to the passage. Verse 7. Jesus turns to the Samaritan woman and he asks her a question. He says, please give me a drink. Number two. A way that serving can serve as an icebreaker is when we ask. When we ask. See, serving breaks the ice by engaging others on a relational level. It is so important that we understand that serving is so much more than us coming on as heroes and taking care of those that are underprivileged. If any, how many of you have ever been in that position before? You were the one that needed to be served. You felt like you couldn't help yourself, right? How does it make you feel knowing that someone comes in thinking that maybe they're superior or that maybe they have everything you need and they don't recognize that you have anything to offer? And so what Jesus is doing here, because here's something that's really amazing, is Jesus um, asked her for a drink, but this is the same man that fed over 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a fish. How many of you think he could have performed a miracle and gave himself a drink? But we see Jesus put himself in a vulnerable place. The Bible tells us right here that he was weary from the journey so that Jesus got tired, right? Because he put on a real body, it was not an illusion. He was fully God, but also fully man. It's one of those really crazy, confusing things that we believe, right? But we should be confused when we're trying to consider God. He's very big. 
He's very wonderful. He's mysterious. He was fully God and fully man. And so he was actually weary and tired. And so he allowed himself to be in a vulnerable place and he asked her for a drink. And so he had the opportunity to show her that he had everything she needed, but instead he chose to acknowledge that she had something he needed. By asking this question, he was doing so much more than, than uh, giving her a request. He was inviting her into his world. He was asking her to step into relationship, to engage in a conversation, and to offer him something as well. And this was so amazing because we know, like I said before, it was frowned upon for a man to even speak to a Samaritan woman, um, but let alone ask her for a drink. In fact, uh, some good Jews back in that time, if they knew that a Samaritan drank from a cup, they'd be like, don't touch that thing. It's been defiled. But God says, I want you to take your hand and dip your bucket in the water and pour me a drink and give it to me so that I can drink of it. This was a powerful statement that he was making because he led with a question. Jesus was willing to not only give but receive from her. And so what was amazing is because this was such a crazy thing that he did in the eyes of men and women, he got her attention. And he disarmed her to the point where she engaged him in a conversation that never should have happened. Let me say that again. Because he led with a question, he engaged her in a conversation that in the eyes of men never should have happened. See, there's so many excuses that we make for why we can't engage people in the love of Jesus. It just shouldn't happen, right? It's not culturally acceptable. They're going to be offended. Um, It's going to be awkward. Um, I'm not going to know what to say. Whatever it is, we make all these excuses for why we can't engage people with the love of Christ. But when we approach someone in this manner like Jesus did and we're willing to ask questions, we're willing to come into partnership with them on some level, it disarms them and enables us to have an unlikely conversation. Sometimes people are not receptive to the gospel because we do a lot of talking when we should be asking a lot of questions. See, effective service does more than meet a need. It comes from a genuine love that inspires them to explore the gospel. Then in verse 9, this is very powerful. It says, the woman was surprised. Remember how I made you repeat that earlier? The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Number three is surprise. A way that we can use serving as a way to break the ice is to do something surprising. Serving breaks the ice by doing more than what is expected. Serving breaks the ice by going above and beyond. When is the last time you've served others in a way that surprised people? When is the last time that in the workplace you volunteered for the job everyone else is trying to avoid, right? Uh, When's the last time uh, someone asked you for something and you did that plus something else that you knew would be helpful to them? When you do something like that, it's surprising and it gets their attention. And that type of service comes from a place of authenticity and a place of gratitude, understanding what God has done for you. And when you have gratitude in your heart that you are more than willing and in fact looking for opportunities to go above and beyond. But we can be so afraid of awkward conversations that we avoid them at all costs. 
But Jesus thrived on awkward, uncomfortable conversations. Think of how many examples throughout the New Testament that you can read where you can feel the tension in the story and you weren't even there. He was willing to cross the threshold of awkward. Imagine if even a half of the church was living this way. So intentionally looking for ways to go above and beyond in our service. What an impact we would make. We, like we wouldn't even have to have as many um, outreaches or big events on our calendar, right? Because people are just obeying the Great Commission, which if you look at the original translation, the, the way it's really worded is, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. In other words, Jesus is saying, yeah, be intentional and go somewhere in order to make a disciple, but you got to understand that there's going to be opportunities when you're at the grocery store to engage someone with the love of Christ and lead to making a disciple. There's going to be opportunities when you're just going through your routine and you're at work and you're on the clock to make a disciple, to engage someone with the love of Jesus Christ. And so as you are going, go above and beyond, I'll say to you. See, if we really want to make an impact through serving We'll go where few are willing to go. We'll ask the questions that no one else is asking in order to engage people on a relational level. And we will surprise them by doing more than is expected. But not only, here's, here's, here's the kicker, guys. And this is how I'm going to bring it home, okay? Not only does serving break the ice for others to receive the love of Christ, but serving breaks the ice for our own hearts, to experience God's love. Check this out. I, I, t I said earlier about uh, recognizing what's been done for us. In 1 John 4, 17 through 19, which by the way, I know you guys are gonna get tripped up in your life groups this week because you're in John chapter four the whole time and at the end it says 1 John chapter four. Don't miss that. Don't go to John chapter four, verse 17 through 19. Go to 1 John chapter four, verses 17 through 19. I just know I'm gonna get a text message. Joe, what does this verse have to do with the conversation? Okay, so 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. So John wrote this gospel, right? And then he wrote this epistle, a letter to the church. And it says, as we live, somebody say live. In God, our love grows more perfect. Okay, so as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live. Somebody say live. Like Jesus here in this world, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. Number four, live. What do I mean when I say that? I mean let serving become a part of your life, your lifestyle. Serving must become a rhythm in your life, not something you do once or twice a year or when someone comes and asks you because there's no one else, but finding where you fit and serving on a regular basis. Serving breaks the ice in our own hearts by helping us grow in God's love. Some of you, you feel frustrated, you feel stagnant, you feel apathetic, and, and for you, the answer might be stepping into service. 
because as you flow in the gifts that God has given you, and as you reach out to other people, he will reawaken things that have gone dormant in your life. He will stir up passions that have kind of gone to sleep. He will reawaken things in your life that, that have sort of faded away because that's exactly what happens. If, as we step outside of God's will and we stop serving, our heart can grow cold to God and to others. Amen? And so if we don't have a rhythm of service in our life, our love cannot grow. I'll tell you that, uh, man, back in college, uh, as I began to step into this ministry called Street Hope, you guys have heard me talk about this a lot, I know, um, but we would go to the downtown streets of Dallas and share Jesus. And, and, and at first it was difficult for me to even be a part of it. And sometimes I would avoid it and not go because I was nervous. I'm like, talking to strangers is a big deal, especially when they're trying to sell you drugs, right? And so there'd be times when I, I avoid it. And so finally I would start to go a little bit more regularly. And oh, I had no idea. I never could have saw this coming, but God knew what he was doing. And he spoke into the hearts of the leaders of that team and said to them, this young man right here is your successor. But if you would have told me that as a freshman at college, I'd been like, uh, no, I'm going to stop going right now. But instead, what happened is, is uh, they began to recognize something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And when I was obedient and I answered the call and I said, yes, I will step into this role and I became the president of Street Hope, what I saw was God begin to move through me in ways that I've never seen before. And so it was in little things where I would lead out in prayer and the prayer that would come out would be so passionate and it would be phrased in such a way that I felt like it wasn't even me talking, that God was giving me words that were fresh revelation. Anybody have been there? Anybody testify that as you're leading out in prayer, you're saying things and you're like, oh, that's good. That didn't come from me. I didn't know that until I said it because God was revealing it to me as I was obedient and spoke it out. I didn't even know what words I was gonna say. I was getting them one word at a time. And as I begin to pray that, he's giving me fresh revelation. Do you see how that works? That as we step out in obedience, one step at a time, and we say, I'm going to serve. I don't know how. I don't know exactly how it's gonna work out. I don't know what step two is, but I know what step one is. And as I step out, God God says, now step here, now step here, now step here, now step here. And the result is my heart begin to burn on fire for Jesus Christ. And I begin to worship differently on Sunday mornings. I begin to interact with people differently because something had been awakened in my heart. And church, I'm telling you this morning, there is something that God wants to awaken in your heart that will not happen until you step up in obedience and you step out and you begin to serve both inside the church and outside the church. It's time to break the ice. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for this church. I pray for your people. I pray, God, that you would inspire them to obedience inspire them to move Jesus and as Autumn said earlier this morning God that if they're feeling like they're not serving because there's no time there's no room in their life God that you would show them where to create margin where to lay things aside to get them to the point where they can say everything else can wait I'm here for you oh father God bring us to that place Lord Jesus 
where we lay other things aside because you want to awaken us an intimacy with you that will only be awakened through service. You want to awaken us the ability to hear your voice and our ears are going to pop and they're going to open up and be able to hear what they couldn't hear before because we engaged in service, Father God. There's breakthrough. There's freedom from strongholds even. They're going to come because we stepped out in obedience in spite of our weakness, in spite of what we're struggling with. And God, people are going to experience breakthrough because of that, Father God. Inspire us to obedience today. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead your people deeper. That they draw near to you. And you would do as you've promised and draw dear to them. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to share a few things with you and then we're going to close at our tables. Let me give you some practical ways that you can apply today's word, okay? Anybody like practical? I love that because sometimes I get confused and when somebody says, do this, I'm like, okay, I'll try it. Start by introducing yourself to your next door neighbors, your actual next door neighbors. It may be awkward, especially if you've lived there for 10 years and you don't know their name, but brave the threshold of awkward. And then once you introduce yourself, right away, repeat it in your mind 20 times, run home, write down their names and which house they live in so that every time you see them, you can begin by something so simple as just calling them by name, acknowledging them, making them understand that they have value. Offer to help with a project they've been working on. Maybe they're working on their, uh, their irrigation, right? And you're like, hey, I can help you with that. I'll help you dig the hole. Uh, I'll help you fix the pipe. Uh, maybe you see them out there today or yesterday we were hanging lights on the outside of our house. My neighbor drove right past us. He didn't offer to help. Can you believe that? You know what's interesting about that though? To go along with point number two, ask. I could have engaged him as an act of service by saying, hey, Sal, can you give me a hand with this? Sometimes actually asking for help is an act of service, right? Join the HOA board. Oh, right? You feel like only a certain type of people sign up for the HOA board, and that's not me. But what an opportunity to engage people with the love of Christ, people of influence in your neighborhood. Participate in community events, Simply engage in conversation when you see your neighbor in the front yard. Don't drive into your house and close the door behind your car. Be strategic. Use holidays as an excuse to get them a gift. Give flowers to your single mother neighbors on Mother's Day. Bring uh, some sort of gift to single fathers on Father's Day. How about this? Serve at the park on Saturdays with Steve Edgley. He never has enough people. He tells me that every week. I don't have enough people. Specifically, he says, I need women. There's never women to pray with the girls that we have out here. He needs women. And lastly, I'll say sign up to serve on a fountain team. If you're not already serving on a fountain team, or if you say, I'm able to give more, then I want to go ahead and give you guys some time at your tables. Um, and, And there's two challenges. I want you to get to know your neighbors this week. Maybe use some of those suggestions to engage them. And number two, you can sign up for a fountain team today by taking out your camera and your phone and scanning that QR code. And then there's a tab that says serve opportunities. And you can click on that and you can just simply check a few boxes where you say, you know what? I think I could help here. Not only that, I think God might be leading me to help here. Maybe this is a calling for me. 
And so I just want to invite you. Uh, you will be dismissed at your tables. Whenever you guys are done, feel free to pray and have a wonderful afternoon. There will be no formal dismissal this morning like we do sometimes. But I want you to take a few moments at your table to explore where God might be asking you to step up and serve and to take that next step and actually do something about it. And then please make sure you pray with your tables before you leave today. God bless you. I love you. Thank you so much for coming today. And I hope you enjoy these next few moments at your table before you leave. Love you guys.